New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. Today I'm hosting Dean Slider. He's the author of Fear Less, Living Beyond Fear, Anxiety, Anger, and Addiction. Dean, welcome to the New Dimensions Cafe. Thanks so much. There's a quote in your book from a famous 20th century Indian sage, and he says, Learn to look without imagination. Listen without distortion. That is all. You will experience freedom from fear. Learn to look without imagination. That kind of stopped me, Dean. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, we put such a value in Western culture on imagination, creativity. And Mm -hmm. he's saying, learn to look without imagination and to listen without distortion. Mm -hmm. Who was it that said this and what did this mean to you? Yes, this was the great, great sage Sri Nisargadatta Maharaj. Yes, of course, imagination is a precious thing. You know, anyone who's a creative artist relies on imagination. But that is a particular tool. It's not the right tool for every job. (laughs) You don't use a hammer when a screwdriver is called for. Now, what is imagination? The root of the word is image. Imagination is a process of generating pictures in our mind. The problem with imagination is that we can mistake those pictures for the reality that's around us. And that's, in fact, what's going on with a whole lot of people a whole lot of the time. For example, in, uh, what is it, Julius Caesar, Shakespeare's Julius Caesar, someone says, the coward dies a thousand deaths, the hero dies but once. Because the coward dies a thousand times in his imagination. We can get so caught up in, well, what if this happens? What if that happens? Because as human beings, we have this incredible power of imagination that, as far as we know, animals don't have. We're able to create our symphonies and our novels and all that. But if we use that tool for the wrong job, then we can get caught up in all those scenarios and feel them as deeply, as poignantly, as if they're really happening to us. Now, out of the thousand ways that we imagine we're going to die, or this marriage is going to end, or this problem is going to happen, you know, at least 999 of them are not going to happen. So if we can completely learn to discriminate between thoughts and experience. You see, people think of awakening and enlightenment as oh, I'm, I'm going to generate this new thing. I'm going to have this new experience. It's going to be like a 24-7 cosmic orgasm with, you know, purple light flowing out of my crown chakra or, you know, something exotic like that. And it, and I know that's what I thought when I first got involved in this stuff way back when I was 16, 17 years old. The deeper I've gotten into my own experience over the years, the clearer it's become to me that it's not some new exotic experience that we have to have. We just have to clearly 
notice what we're actually experiencing right now. And this is it. This is, this is it beyond the wildest dreams of anything we can imagine. You know, Jesus says in the Gospel of Thomas, the kingdom of the Father is spread upon the earth, but people don't see it. Right? In other words, the kingdom of the Father, the kingdom of heaven, the paradise everyone is looking for, it's right here. It's there in every inch, in every moment, in every shred of every experience you have, but somehow you keep overlooking it. One way that some listeners will be able to relate to this, I'm going to use a little shortcut here. Often when people take psychedelics, you know, when they drop acid or they eat mushrooms or something, and they, they're walking around, they're going... Whoa, does everyone see that fire hydrant? That's it. That, and it's not that the fire hydrant has suddenly sprouted wings. There's the fire hydrant being exactly as it always was. And oh man, just sitting here looking at that fire hydrant, this is infinitely fulfilling. Now, that's essentially how the sages are walking around. But without the side effects and the misleading and the distorting aspects and, of psychedelics. And, and they're not feeling that separate, encapsulated within just this body and this mind. It's, it's, they're bigger than that. Yes, yes. And that really is the essence of the thing that we experience when we behold the fire hydrant or the dog or the, you know, the wristwatch or whatever and go, oh, here it is. This is it. I don't need anything else. It's because we go through life, most of us, thinking of ourselves as, oh, I'm a wave. I'm a separate wave. And this fire hydrant over here and you over there, Justine, and this table here, this couch here, these are all separate waves. We're all separate from one another. When you sink within yourself in meditation, when the little wave sinks down into its base, it discovers, oh, I am the ocean. There is no dotted line that separates little Dean wave from the ocean of boundless existence. And that same ocean is the core self, is the truth of what Justine is and what the table is and what everything is. Now, that sounds nice as a sentiment. It sounds nice as a metaphysical concept, but it's much, much nicer as a direct, simple experience. You know, the Buddha said, come and see, not come and believe, come and hope, come and wish, come and theorize or speculate. Scientific method. Just try some of this stuff, settle into yourself, drop your thoughts, open up and experience what is in front of you, come and see, and it's so much better than anything you ever could have hoped to make it. That reminds me of an analogy that you use in the book that I somehow really loved, and you talk about that beingness as this immense plane that goes on the horizon forever. It's just in the sky forever, everything just big, big, big. But where we live is we've set up this amusement park right. in the middle of this plane, and it's very entertaining. It's very amusing. It's amusing. <laughs> yes. But it takes a lot of maintenance, too. It, it so does. tell us about... It, it does. And, you know, of course, that amusement park consists of our habits and our endlessly repeated stories. You know, you've got that story about your terrible childhood or your second marriage or whatever. You know, and that's like the ride through the haunted house. Okay. Fine, you go through the haunted house five times, ten times, a hundred times. Do you really need to go through there a hundred and one times? But we keep doing it because it's something we know how to do. Even if it's painful, 
we know how to do it. There's a wonderful line somewhere in the Old Testament, I think it's in the book of Proverbs, as a dog returneth to its vomit, so the fool returns to his folly. You know, even though it's like puke, we're like the dog going back to eat its own puke because we know how to do that. We know the drill. So if we can just interrupt some of these drills and, and, and discover that when we relax our grip on some of this stuff, that we're not left just in some terrible kind of void, but we are left in a boundless horizon and it's delicious. You know, Dean, that reminds me, you mentioned dogs. So if we take the position of that loving companion dog sitting there listening to all of our stories, and how does that dog listen to our stories? And can we take ourselves into being the dog. Can, can you describe that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a chapter in the book titled, The Sweetest Dog in the World. And I'm finding this is one of the things that I'm starting to get a lot of emails from people saying, oh, I just, <laughs> that one really works for me. So the, the method that I describe is if you happen to actually have the sweetest dog in the world as your companion, great. Otherwise, just imagine, close your eyes, imagine the sweetest dog in the world looking at you with those eyes of total bottomless love and mentally, whatever your blah, blah story is, just go through it. Just pour it out to that wonderful, best possible listener. Because the thing about the dog as the listener is that the dog doesn't judge, the dog doesn't edit, the dog doesn't interrupt you to tell you about, you know, his thing. The dog just completely, completely listens and fine, you just pour it out, pour it out, pour it out until it's all poured out. Then take a breather, maybe walk around the block, then come back, sit down, close your eyes again, and do the same thing again, except this time you are the dog. Just feel what it feels like to be behind those loving doggy eyes, under all that doggy fur, inside that doggy metabolism, and looking around the room with your doggy eyes, and oh, there's your human friend that you love so much. And she's making those sounds with her mouth, and she's not saying stay or sit, so you don't really understand. It's just kind of waka, waka, waka. But you understand feelings because you've got this big loving pooch heart. And she's, oh, so much human hurt and she's pouring it out. And as the dog, you just take all that in to your loving doggy heart and dissolve it into space, explode it into space. Just let it keep coming, keep coming, keep coming till it's all gone. And then you are modeling for your human friend. This is how to do it just by being what you are, just being a good dog. <laughs> oh, that's so great. That's so great. So is there any sort of advice you can give to us about getting through these challenging times that we're living in? And I know that you're not using meditation and you are a teacher of meditation. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I think that you've said that you'd like to abolish the word meditation. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's such a big word. It's got four syllables. It sounds like it must be this big task. 
And the way most people approach meditation, they make it a task. It's so gratifying when people come to my workshops. I also want to abolish that word workshop, by the way. <laughs> when people come to my workshops or when people send me emails because they've read my books and find out that, oh no, meditation just can be this simple allowing yourself to be pulled instead of trying to push. And it's such a relief. It's the opposite of work. I know that many of us have had that instruction, be there in the space between thoughts. Oh, oh, oh man, yeah. I've been there and I'm trying to grab that space, you know, and it's yeah. such an effort. Yes. So let's give it the benefit of the doubt and say maybe that was a bad translation. You know? right. Okay. Oh, <laughs> okay. Oh, and goody. here's but the way that I here's the way that. I would rephrase it. Notice that you are the space within which thoughts come and go. No, I just ah. I can <laughs> folks, folks, for those of you who can't see Justine across the table here, <laughs> she just relaxed very deeply. Exactly. Say it one more time right. so we really right. can feel it. Notice that you are the space within which thoughts come and go. So you're saying we don't have to do anything with the thoughts, shove them away or grab them or anything. Right, it's they're right. just The thing is, people think that meditation is trying to create a non-agitated state of mind. The problem is that any effort to create a non-agitated state of mind is itself a form of agitation. So people wind up chasing their tails, trying, trying not to try, trying not to try, not to try, not to try, not to try. Ah! So it's very helpful to have someone pull the rug out from under all those efforts, especially at the beginning or especially if you've been caught up in doing a lot of effortful meditation. Again, this is why I encourage people to come to my website where there's one page called Meditate Now where there are guided meditation audio tracks. It's completely free. And you have, you know, Uncle Dean here walking you through it. I'm in the driver's seat. That mm -hmm. allows you to kick back, relax in the passenger seat. That's very helpful. And the way that you do it, it's not like digging coal. It's no. quite the opposite. It's like falling into the swimming pool. Ah, so <laughs> yeah. I encourage people to check that out. I've been speaking with... Dean Slider. He spells his last name S-L-U-Y-T-E-R, Dean Slider. And he is the author of Fear Less. That's two words, Fear Less, Living Beyond Fear, Anxiety, Anger, and Addiction. And if you want to know more about his work, you can go to his website, fearlessbook.net. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms, and I want to thank you for joining us on the New Dimensions Cafe, and I invite you, please do join us again. You've been listening to the New Dimensions Cafe. This series of shorter interviews features many of the remarkable guests also featured on our internationally syndicated one-hour New Dimensions radio series. To access more than a 1,000 hours of programs, to subscribe to our newsletters, or to become a member, please visit us at newdimensions.org.
New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support.